0: And it surprised me that it took as long uh, for people to adopt the on-demand aspects of audio. Um, It's been a very, it's been kind of a slow adoption curve is what I've seen. I think that the on-demand side on video grew much quicker, uh, which I think is, is an interesting case, even as it applies today, as we look at the podcasting space. We're still, you know, we're still chipping away at it, as they say.
1: Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangel. Let's delve a little deeper. Here's the first part of my conversation with Rob Greenlee. He's CEO of Spoken Life Media and host of Spoken Life Show. He's also co-founder advisor to PodcastEasy.com. He's worked in senior roles with Podbean.com, Libsyn, and AdvertiseCast. He's a well-known public speaker, evangelist, technologist, and trainer for podcasting globally. And he's a founding and current Board of Governors member and former founding chairperson of the Podcast Academy, who are responsible for the Ambies Awards. In 2017, he was inducted into the Academy of Podcasters Hall of Fame and is currently chairperson of the induction committee for the eight-year-old Podcast Hall of Fame, PodcastHOF.com. Along with Todd Cochran, who's also been on this podcast, he co-hosts the 10-plus year-running New Media Show at NewMediaShow.com and hosts the Spoken Life Show at PodPage.com slash SpokenLife. His accolades are numerous and his background extensive. He's even a former college basketball player at Pacific Lutheran University and is also a Guinness Book of World Record holder for building the world's largest glass of orange juice for the state of Florida. His name is Rob Greenlee. I've been looking forward to this discussion for a number of reasons. The state of podcasting is currently in flux, considering what's happening with AI, with podcast hosting, with RSS, and a whole host of other considerations. It's still going strong, and there's still a sizable audience out there, you being a case in point, but there's definitely a lot to talk about. As always, if you have questions for my guest, you're welcome to reach out through the links in the show notes. If you have questions for me, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com where you'll find a lot of ways to get in touch. Plus, subscribing to the newsletter will let you know when the new podcasts are available. And if you're getting some value from listening, the best ways to show your support are to share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review. Both those things really help. And I'd love to feature your review on future podcasts. You can leave one either in written or in voice format from the podcast's main page. I would so appreciate that. And now, here's my conversation with Rob Greenley. Thank you so much for joining me here, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate good, your taking Cody. the time. I know that you are a busy guy, especially now. Uh, uh, trying,
0: to, trying to make another adjustment to yeah. take a different kind of a role in the medium now. So.
1: And I definitely want to ask you more about that. Uh, Mm -hmm. The first thing I want to ask you, though, and I ask everyone that I interview this question is if you have an early memory of how sound moved you, because it informs how you got into this whole business in the first place.
0: (laughs) Oh, I don't. That's something I really have to think about because I, I'm not really sure that I was really all that plugged into spoken word stuff in the early days of my life.
1: Yeah, I mean, right. you know, maybe a, a performance or... A, a, it was
0: always on like a cassette tape or it was on the radio or something like that. So I would say that yeah. that's the only place um, had a big impact and then over time it was CDs and stuff, but yeah.
1: Sure, yeah. There's a lot of... a lot of, uh, a lot Back of in those days, yeah. Yeah, I remember those days. I do remember those days. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I had a boombox. I remember calling into... Uh, a talk radio station back when I was eleven and um needing to have my opinions heard. <laughs> right. Yes. I <I'll> bet
0: <laughs> I just didn't uh talk very much when I was a younger person. I just I was an athlete. I was at mm-hmm. that typical kind of jock that doesn't say anything. Um <laughs> so it was it was just one of you know, I was a basketball player and So, yeah, I noticed that in your
1: bio. Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah. Well, I I imagine though, then that you did a lot of listening.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. So, what were you listening to? (laughs) Well, or what was I paying attention to might be the better way of positioning it. Because when you're, you know, a younger male and you're very focused on physical activities, um, which is what. (laughs) a lot of younger males are very focused on um it's it the, there's probably not a lot of communication going any direction really so it's okay that that, <laughs> that, that was a little bit of my upbringing experience so so because back in those days it just wasn't <clears throat> that much it was sure there was verbal communication going on but it just wasn't mm-hmm. uh, at the at the level that it is now. And I certainly didn't have a perspective on it like I do now. Um, That's for sure. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very different now. How did you end up getting into podcasting? I mean, there's a probably a big winding road to get there. Totally
0: came from walking into a radio station uh, back in 1999 and just starting a show. I I, I asked this radio station, it was a small market radio station at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, if they um had a had a technology talk show and i said i've got a, some friends um we can come in and do one so let's let's see what we can get set up uh and they said well we have you know lifestyle programming on the weekends so you can you can come in and get a a slot at 11am uh in the morning on saturdays so that's
1: not a bad time
0: no it's not It's not at all, and I was happy to come in and start doing a show, and didn't have any idea what I was doing. So it was, (laughs) I, I had some friends that I brought in with me, and and my wife at the time, and we just started to come up with ideas on what we might want to do with a, a show. It started out live on the, I mean, totally live on the radio, so it wasn't something pre-produced or anything. So that had its own learning lessons that went (laughs) wrong, went along with that. Right. Well, um, you,
1: you're doing a live show now, so I yeah. guess a lot of those early lessons have
0: served you well. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's more about confidence. Um, okay. And just being comfortable, um, being on the mic, and being in front of a camera to some uh-huh. degree. Back in those days, it, I was very scripted. I was very outlined. I yeah. spent a lot of time doing deep research before the show, and um, I had like three other people in the studio with me, so I had to be able to bring those people into the conversation. So I had to learn a lot about how to host a podcast. Plus I, I was also kind of somewhat running a, a board at the same time. And then a, a phone line that people could call into the program. It was a call in talk show of sorts.
1: All the tech. Yeah. Wow. And then yeah. I had
0: a, a producer that was running the, the board in the main ops um, in the radio station. And then, but I had to manage the microphones in the room and, um, Myself on a on a older mixer board, but but that was that was I, I've got some old pictures of what I did with that, but um, <laughs> but it was it really taught me a lot um, very early about how to do radio, and then that turned into um, I more and more got involved with the internet distribution of that show.
1: I see, okay, on
0: streaming and then on an, on a download and on demand basis too. So that became very much a part of what I was doing. I mean, the topic of the show was around the innovation and growth and development of the world wide web and the internet. So I was very on topic it. with that, right? So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, so if I'm going to be embracing the internet <clears throat> and the internet is capable of distributing media, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which it was slowly starting to develop in that direction, um, back in 1999 and, and, you know, with real networks and, yeah and, real uh, audio uh,
1: you remember on, that on the,
0: uh, the Windows media platform yes. too yeah. uh, was two platforms that I fully embraced you know, mm-hmm. I worked with Microsoft early and and got you know some windows media streaming servers okay uh from them at least got the software and then I built my own servers and had them co-located so I had to start out with my own technical infrastructure in order to really do this because the first server that I used to I should the first computer that I used to to host the website and also make MP3s available was just a little desktop computer underneath a desk in an office up in um, the Seattle market. So it was just, I mean, it wasn't anything all that complicated um, to get started with. But that was really, there were no hosting platforms back then. No, Live 365
1: was much later, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, and so I had to build. Build everything from scratch. So, yeah, and, and over time I, I built um, my own servers um, in multiple co-location facilities mm-hmm. um, and then started over time because I built the infrastructure for my own show, helping other people do it. So, um, be on, you know, I did a lot of on demand streaming too. So there wasn't a lot of live streaming that I was involved in. It was mainly, mm-hmm. but I could do it. it it was technically possible because of the infrastructure that I had, but mainly what I was doing was on demand streams um, through the windows media platform um, that was, had like their windows media player that had radio integration in there. And there were live stations that were being played. And that was a highly used um, kind of area of the windows media player back in those days. And so, but I just played stuff on demand on there and people really couldn't, tell the difference really between what was live or what was on demand so so i played a lot of that kind of bouncing around between live and on demand
1: do you want to sound your absolute best when you're being interviewed on a podcast or when you're hosting your own show i have a podcast episode and free downloadable worksheet called sounding your best as a podcast guest off of the audiobrandingpodcast.com main page just click on the little square graphic to the left of the player displaying my podcast trailer It gives you some comprehensive suggestions for where to start or for improving the sound you already have, including the type of microphones to consider and why, ideas for soundproofing your recording environment, and suggestions on how to get the best sound when you're being remotely recorded on services like Riverside FM or Squadcast. Don't let bad audio quality hold you back from being the best podcast guest or host you can be. And of course, if you happen to need voiceover for your intro and outro, feel free to get in touch. I'm happy to help. And now back to the podcast. So where did you end up um, working with Todd and then how did that, like was Lipson before that or after that or?
0: Well, actually Todd and I both started podcasting within about a month of each other. Okay. <clears throat> so I started in uh, September of 2004 and mm-hmm. he started, I believe in like early October of 2004. I was like mid September. Mm-hmm. So I think we were a couple of weeks apart. Um, and then over time, you know, that community was pretty tight back then. Um, so lots of people knew each other. It was were, a small community. I'm right, assuming.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: that were developing, um, you know, and focusing on podcasting per se, but, um, yeah, I wound up taking my show, which was called the Web Talk World Radio Show. And then I partnered with Todd um, on his tech podcast network that he was building back then. And uh, I, I believe it's the first podcast network that ever existed. So um, where we all, there was like six or seven shows that we all kind of started working together. Um, and then I offered my streaming services to the network. So we would upload the latest episodes to my servers, and then it it would basically play a a live stream that would play each of the most recent episodes from the network. So that's how kind of Todd and I, Todd Cochran, who's now, who's the CEO of Blueberry, Mm -hmm. um, started working together. So it was more starting from being content creators and and, uh, trying to do something different. I mean, I was really all about streaming uh, back in... When I started working with my radio show, and so sure. that's what I brought to Todd because he didn't really have the technology infrastructure to do streaming. Um, so I had a lot of it. So I was I had like three different servers that were doing it for Windows Media and wow. then for Real. Um, yeah. And so the whole MP3 download that we know in podcasting today really wasn't much of a factor for me back then. It was mm-hmm. just one other way that somebody could get my show off of the website. So I would like post a link to an MP3 file. And that was about as technically advanced as it was. But then I started working with some upstart platforms that were kind of like precursors to podcasting that were prior. So like 2002, 2003 timeframe. And um, actually Microsoft had one of the earliest podcasting platforms. And I, you know, ironically later in my career, I wound up, working for Microsoft in this area, and it may have had something to do with this, but but they had a platform called Sync and Go, mm-hmm. and it basically enabled the synchronization of uh, video and audio files from Windows XP to Pocket PC devices. And so it was a client software in the Pocket PC mm-hmm. devices and then a client software in Windows XP that basically um, the, the Windows XP client had... Uh, like 13 content providers in there. There were video mm-hmm. and audio content providers. And I was one of three kind of radio shows um, that offered a download into the pocket PC device. And I was paid 25 cents per transfer of an episode. From <laughs> Is
1: that good? <laughs> Is that <XP>. bad? <laughs> well,
0: it paid me like $5,000 a month back then.
1: Wow. Really?
0: Just okay. Just being on that platform and having that platform that Microsoft was pushing out <clears throat> with their Pocket PC devices mm-hmm. um, be used by I think it was being used by two or three million people. So it was
1: okay. It was a decent sized be.
0: platform, and but, yeah. but it was almost like a mirror reflection. And th- this was back in two thousand two, two thousand three. So well, yeah, two thousand one to about. 2005. They actually killed it in 2005. So oh,
1: that's too bad. So well, that, I guess it wouldn't it wouldn't stand right. up to today's. <clears throat> well, <laughs> so. I
0: mean, I was complaining to them. It's like, well, just add more content providers, right? And you have a platform mm-hmm. um, to to do what they do. But I think because the the royalty payments were so high, they they didn't want to keep it going. <laughs> I so, see. So yeah. You know. You know. So there was like video from like Forbes magazine in there and oh, wow. there was like, okay. um, uh, clips from the NBC nightly news. And that's the kind of content providers that were in that platform. So you could get like four clips from the NBC nightly news on your pocket PC device through this platform. And I'm sure those guys got paid 25 cents per download. Just like I'm I did, sure. So, yeah. Right.
1: But that's not bad. I mean, really, as far as getting good content is concerned, that's actually, yeah
0: really good content. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, there, 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 was two other radio shows that were part of it. I, I mean, I knew both of them. I was friends with them and both of them were early in the, the, the digital distribution side of things, but there, there was a few other platforms that were bubbling up in that 2004 timeframe. Um, also one was called Serenade, um, which was another synchronization platform with, uh, with like, you know, the upstart of the, the MP3 players that were available in the market. And then another one uh, was called Replay Radio. And this platform is would capture uh, streams. Basically, it would record streams of radio shows and make an MP3 file of it and synchronize it with whatever device that you wanted at the time. So so it was really kind of a, a little bit of a rogue platform. Actually, when you think about it back then, because people could, potentially record music streams too. So I was
1: doing that at the time, actually 2002. I had a songwriting resource called the muses muse. And we had a radio show. It was called radio muse. Mm -hmm. And we did one a month and they were real audio to start with and then mp3 and they were just off the website like you were saying just putting a link to the mp3 or real audio file and people would have to use their own devices to play it but you could download the mp3 (laughs) and it was just 12 independent songwriters songs with some commentary in between between me and a co-host and yeah that was our radio show and. 2002 it was being produced by this fellow in Colorado I think actually (laughs) so yeah it was really complicated back then though we only did it for basically a year a year and a half I think we did like 12 episodes basically and uh, and it was just super tough to keep going
0: (laughs) (laughs) well the audience was starting to to more and more embrace kind of time shifting and that's a term that I used early on time shifting of the consumption of radio sure, and listening or
1: watching when you want. Right. Yeah. When you're
0: available and that's where the whole premise of podcasting really was built around was Mm -hmm. listening to content on your schedule instead of, you know, the, the radio programmers schedule, which people were getting busier and busier in their lives and had less time to say, well, I'm going to listen to a piece of content on Thursday at 2 PM or something like that. So it's easier to say, well, I'll, I'll listen to it on the way home. from work. And, and that's what really, I think, and it surprised me that it took as long uh, for people to adopt the on-demand aspects of audio. Um, It's been a very, it's been kind of a slow adoption curve is what I've seen. I think that the on-demand side on video grew much quicker, uh, which I think is, is an interesting case, even as it applies today, as we look at the podcasting space, we're still, you know, we're still chipping away at it, as they say. Um, yeah. It's not, it's never been a hockey stick growth pattern. Uh, <laughs> if anything, it's been down and then up a little, you know, that kind of thing is what we've experienced over, over the many years. And I think even today, between 2020, I think in the Edison numbers that came out between 2021 and 2023, we had a little dip in listening, mm-hmm. actually went down and then it went back up again. So. Yeah. So that's the pattern that we've seen with podcasting, but it only goes up a couple percent, right? So you know, it's, it's not like those... it's 20% growth this this year and yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So it just doesn't it's happen. It's a that very
1: way. weird thing in that I think that, um, I think it has a lot to do with our own multitasking. So yeah. um, because we are unique human beings and because our entire digital lives are now online, <laughs> almost, oh we have so many things pulling at our attention and Mm -hmm. because of that sound fits into those little bits and pieces where we need it to fit in and whereas video may not so it can be hard for people to sit down and it's it's that on-demand thing again right it's hard Mm -hmm. for you to sit down and devote all your attention to one thing that you have to focus on (laughs) as opposed to listening to a podcast but it all mirrors our lives, right? So the pandemic has influenced a whole lot of different things over the last few years. (laughs) I'll imagine. Yeah, it
0: has. Yeah. Yeah. So I do have to wonder if if there's a ceiling to this, to some degree. Um, A ceiling for what do you mean? Just the growth of this medium uh, Mm -hmm. is, is it, you know, is it possible that everyone should have a voice? Uh, I think it's an interesting question. You know, I think it the industry would love it if everybody had a voice, but is that what's really good for the listener or good for the content side? Is everybody have a voice? Um, well, like you were like saying. Right. Yeah. Is there some benefit to having um, better voices, I guess, or better storytellers um, dominate this medium? And I think it's the tug of war in the industry – uh, more broadly o- over the years has been this struggle between indie and pro procreators. Right. Sure. Um, and, and that's been around since the very earliest days of podcasting. Um, you know, national public radio was involved in podcasting back when I started. Um, mm-hmm. they jumped on it very quickly. Actually, uh, a a radio station, uh, I think it was Como AM radio up in the Seattle market, um, jumped on podcasting right after I did. So it was wow. really, it was amazing what I saw in the early days. And it was really a glimpse. Uh, and I looked at it like that, um, of what the future was going to look like. Um, and as it's turned out, public radio has been kind of one of the key stewards of podcasting um, since the r- early days. And it continues to be that way. And if you look at the medium globally, uh, it's very much a Public radio esque type of environment outside of the US. Mm. Uh, I think that the US is a little bit of a unique case because of mm. how it started here. Um, but outside of the US, it's very public radio centric and how the culture thinks of audio as well. Uh, and I've seen that. I've spent a lot of time outside of the US and, you know, like the BBC and the CBC and the mm-hmm. ABC down in Australia and stuff like that really dominate the consciousness of um, the culture. Um, And what those folks do has a big influence on how people think of content. And that has had a big impact on how people think about podcasts in those markets.
1: I know that we're all dealing with a lot these days. So I really wanted to acknowledge those that have gone out of their way to leave an honest review of this podcast. Like Gregory, who writes more There is more to branding and marketing. Thanks to Audio Branding for introducing me to the world of audio and sound. Love it. Thanks, Gregory. I appreciate the listen and the kind words. And for those of you that are interested, you can also leave a voice review now off of the main podcast page. It's super simple and fun, and I'd love to hear what you think. Now back to the show. And right. and you've been involved in the podcast academy for a while now, right? Too since so it started. <laughs> yeah, so you've yeah. seen a lot going on there. As far yeah. as like, I'm always curious about this because I know that you have an independent podcasters section for your awards show, the yes. the Ambies, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and and the rest of it is, I guess, wide open to anybody. Is that the the idea? Like, yeah,
0: that's the idea, and I think that the 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 organization has faced some criticism because it it's been perceived as not being as global as, as I think um, mm-hmm. many would like it to be. And I usually say to this is the very first board meeting that I ever attended in New York for the podcast Academy. Um, that was the topic that came up. Does this organization want to be global in its scope? And I think we all agreed cause I, I raised my hand and said, I think that's a top priority for the organization. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody agreed, but it, But I think um, we're just now getting to a point where we can actually practically implement that. (laughs) So,
1: yeah. I I mean, people need to submit from around the world. You need to be able to have press and and people knowing that it exists. And then around the world, they need to actually want to do podcasting.
0: Yeah. And it's been a little, (laughs) the last three years, we've seen a big explosion of interest outside of the United States uh, for podcasting. And, and I know I'm, I'm always kind of playing in the space probably a couple years ahead of where the space is. So I was seeing um, a lot of interest starting to grow outside of the U.S. And I'm talking to people outside of the U.S. and they express, you know, why doesn't Podcast Academy do more outside of the U.S.? And Mm -hmm. I'd say, you know, we just haven't got there yet because we have to build a foundation first before we can really spread our wings. And that's kind of what the organization really did at the beginning. And it's got three, three Ambies events under its belt now. So I think the infrastructure of the organization and how we elect new governors and how we um, select winners for the Ambies and how uh-huh. we put on events um, for the Ambies is, is we're basically pretty baked on that. So now we can spread our wings a little bit and get more people involved on a global scale. And hopefully I get re-elected to the board. I'm, I'm running <laughs> for re-election. Um, and and that's actually a good development. If I don't get re-elected, that's fine. I served for three years and I helped get that organization off the ground. And mm-hmm. and I believe it's going to be, you know, it's going to be important organization going forward into the future for podcasting. Yeah.
1: What do you see it doing in the future?
0: Well, I I see it increasingly getting more involved in education. Uh, okay, podcasters... Sure. They especially podcasters that want to work in podcasting as a career. Mm-hmm.
1: And more and more and, of those aren't they? Right.
0: And there's an increasing need for elevating skills, um, especially higher production value skills mm-hmm. um, that is, is growing in the medium. I think we're seeing a little bit of a dip in it right now because a lot of the bigger platforms are not investing in new content quite as much as they were like maybe even a year ago
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, just because of the economy. But that'll come back um, hopefully if everything goes well yeah. um, and we will jump back into the mix of um, really in, investing in high quality podcast productions and, and, um, and really kind of elevating, continuing to elevate the medium um to increasing levels i mean we're seeing technology innovation come into the medium uh, increasingly with spatial audio and yeah. and software solutions that are using ai technology and and things like that that are starting to have an impact on the medium and the quality of what we we're, we're seeing and ai is one of those wild cards that uh, i don't think any of us really know how significant it's going to be but I do know or that how there's...
1: fast it's going to be right. significant, <laughs> right? Well, I think
0: it is going to be significant. I think it already yeah. is, but it's, oh, yeah, yeah. It's just none of how... us anticipated
1: that, though. I don't right. think. I mean, we were kind of, you know, it
0: kind of snuck up on us. It a snuck up bit. on
1: us a little, yeah.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm not sure that we, as an industry, don't always have our our eyes keened on what's, what's happening um, as much on the technology side. And that's always really driven podcasting. I mean, if you really back up and you look at the history of it, the technology innovations have definitely been a significant driver of the development of the podcasting medium. So, but yet a lot of people don't really make those connections um, quite as much. And, and it does, you know, I've worked for a lot of platforms in the podcasting space and, there isn't a lot of innovation in podcasting generally. Um, I can say that just from the standpoint of, you know, people have business models and they're trying to balance budgets with revenue and things like that. So people are very focused on on that. And that does tend to drive a little bit of a conservative approach. Um, I would say that the innovation happens first more on the creator end um, mm-hmm. and pushing these platforms to do something different and maybe new and new and innovative. So I think yeah. that's, that's starting to happen now more.
1: Speaking of that, I know that you've made some uh, pretty big transitions in, in the last really short while. Um, yeah. But, but I mean, you've made a lot of transitions from those hosting companies to uh, like a whole lot of stuff along the yeah. way. So yeah, something
0: new for me to transition to something new, right? Right.
1: Yeah. And nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, So what are you hoping to accomplish with what you're doing now? What was the reason for transitioning into that?
0: Yeah, I think it had a lot to do with kind of how I have evolved as a a person in the podcasting medium uh, and what I've learned from all of the stops that I've made along the way um, about, you know, I think my contribution to the medium can be more significant than it probably has been. Um, I started out working on platforms uh, with podcasting uh, in 2005. That's how long I've been working on this. Um, it's a little while. I, yeah, I started wor- <laughs> working on a, a mobile listening platform uh, mm-hmm. for podcasts back in 2005. I worked on that from 2005 to 2007 on uh, pre-smartphones, uh, you know, like uh the, the Razer phone. I mean, a lot of people listening to this maybe don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, then I
1: actually do, <laughs> right? And then, but yeah,
0: <laughs> and then Nokia phones, yeah. the early Symbian Nokia phones. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I work for a company that was really a music company and that's the common thing in my background also is a lot of what I've done has, there's always been some tangential relationship to a music uh, platform. And I'm, I'm not a passionate music guy, but. You know, darn it! I've worked on the music teams at Microsoft. I did that for almost seven years. So there are was, a
1: lot of parallels between right you and know, it's making like on I can't seem to Get yeah. away from it!
0: No, I'm, I'm more joking than anything else, but it's <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. It, yeah, it's, it's like you know my my path is come across music for a long time. And I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that if you really think about it from the medium standpoint of where we are today, there, there is a lot of involvement of music and podcasting, and there's a lot of thought processes that are very similar um, with, you know, music creators and podcasters, or they kind of have a common kind of thought process on what they're doing to creative people. They, they love to create unique creations and (laughs) And, and then of course, then there's, you know, um, I worked on Zoom which started out as a music I remember platform Zune, yeah. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> and then they added podcast to that. And I was the only non music guy on the music team. So, so that, and then, you know, left there to go to work for, you know, um, podcast one, but didn't really have a lot of music connection with that one. But, um, certainly with Microsoft, I did a lot of music stuff. I sure. published Music videos as podcasts and <clears throat> did all sorts of stuff. Made mm-hmm. made a video podcast for for Microsoft and and so had a lot of music musicians on the show and stuff. So it's been
1: that's great um, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's because we, we were trying to promote a platform that was integrating with music. And guess well, what sure. we see today? We we, we have um, YouTube announcing they're going to add podcasts to YouTube Music. Right. So yeah. That, that's the I need to ask things.
1: you what you think of yeah. that, actually, well, it's, because it's like, is it? Yeah. yeah, I, I, understand that saying it's a podcast when it's really not on RSS and it's a video and etc. Et well, cetera. that's another
0: part of that, that conversation, <laughs> right? Is, yeah. is YouTube's embrace of video, which mm-hmm. they're calling video podcasts, which, which uh, is raising all sorts of inflation confusion and discussion in the podcasting medium right now is as youtube evolves what they've what they're doing in the podcasting side so yeah yeah.
1: it's complicated complicated. it's always
0: been complicated with those guys unfortunately yeah because they've they've kind of they've benefited from podcasting for a long time but they've been pretty much ignoring it um for most of most of the time uh, that they've been a beneficiary of it. Um,
1: well, even now when they're talking about podcasting, they're not talking about putting up an RSS feed. They're talking about uploading your video, no, basically, right? right? Like, right. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I don't see
0: them buying like a, hosting, a podcast hosting platform like we saw um, Spotify do. Sure. Mm-hmm. So just because they're going to say, well, if we're going to do that, we're going to build it ourselves. So
1: which makes sense, and if right. they did that, maybe it would be really beneficial. Who knows? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think that the danger with those guys is that they're they're going to create a siloed platform that people will upload directly to them, and it will yeah. only be available on. on and that's on, not the point YouTube. of RSS. Right. As, that know, open yeah. open distribution is not something what. Um, what YouTube has embraced. so
1: And it's not something we should give away either. I don't think right. anyone should be giving it away for free, not for free. I mean, there are some people who have gone over to Spotify for millions of dollars. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but why give away your whole feed to someone right. else and be, beholden to that particular platform. I don't know. Yeah. It's a hard it's a yeah. hard question to answer for a lot of people because I think that maybe a lot of people aren't really aware of how valuable that open network is.
0: Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. And though I think YouTube will probably create a pathway for you to add your RSS feed. <clears throat>
1: I hope they do. That would be a great development. To their
0: tools. And it will ingest, it'll suck up all your content. Mm-hmm. Right, And then they'll they'll re-host the content. So,
1: you know what, so- as long as it's still an RSS feed and they're getting it from my RSS and I'm not beholden to being on that platform or else, <laughs> I'm OK with that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does raise some other questions, though, because the industry has been moving increasingly towards dynamically inserted content. Um, uh, so, so where
1: go the ads? So, yeah.
0: well, the ads and, you know, the. The truth is, is that, you know, a lot of people perceive the dynamic ad insertion as, as advertising, which mm-hmm. it primarily is used that way, but it certainly can be used for other types of content too. So sure. you can, you can put in promos, you can put in, um, maybe segments in there, sound IDs, mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of things can be inserted into those dynamic inserted locations. Um, you, you could even do it w- with content if you wanted to. Um, sure. so it doesn't have to be just ads. Um, So, but that, the fact that YouTube is looking to cache episodes puts them in a relationship kind of requirement that they get, you know, dynamic free content, right? Mm -hmm. Content that doesn't have auto insertions in it, um, which raises a lot of issues. You know, it creates like a tiered infrastructure for dynamic ad insertion. So, you know give YouTube kind of like your your generic copy that doesn't have anything additional in it and then YouTube's going to do all that, right? Uh, so yeah. that's, the, that's the question that I have for them when I talk to them. It's like, well, you know, how's this going to work? Because if you suck in all the content and it has, you know, six dynamically inserted ad spots in it, um, when you capture it, then uh, you're going to have that in there for all time. So and Very then you're true. going to layer in your own advertising on top of that. Well, um,
1: it does right. become a profit share question then. It does. It? Too, the right? same way that YouTube videos are right now. Yep. Yeah. But I mean they're used to that kind of idea. So I yeah. don't know. There's still a lot of questions up in the air. Yeah, there you're are. Totally right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm trying to ask them. So mm-hmm. if you're listening to this, uh, please reach out. I can I've got ideas on how it can be solved. It's just are you willing to do the things that are needed to 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 do that and the other question is are the podcast hosting platforms going to basically embrace what's needed um and that's to deliver ad-free dynamic free content to youtube so and why interesting
1: question yeah
0: why why would the hosting platforms do that there has been other companies that have tried to do this mm-hmm. prior youtube is not the first uh, as well as lots of things are never the first that have been tried in podcasting. But, um, you know, the Spotify tried to do the same exact thing, caching mm-hmm. episodes and delivering them off their own platform. You know, Pandora wanted to do that as well. Um, and over time, the industry kept pressuring them to do what's called pass-through, <clears throat> which means that the episodes are hosted on the main podcast hosting platforms. And it just passes through to their platform Um, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't. But then that cuts YouTube out from being able to monetize.
1: This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time.